Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to talk about how God is so gracious and so good, He can reach out to anybody, even the folks that you may not expect. Let's get going. You know, there are times when I can get pretty down on myself. The older I get, the easier it is to notice my failings, both in the present and lifelong. I got up about 3 a.m. this morning, and I knew I needed to spend some time before the Lord. Now, I don't walk around all day beating myself up or stressing out over my sin-filled character, but once in a while... I ponder it, and as a result, come to more and more awe and wonder concerning the grace and mercy of my Father in heaven. You see, He knows me completely. He knows who I am and what's in me, so no stupidity or bad behavior surprises Him. Now get this, like a pickup game of basketball, He chose me before the beginning of the world. Ephesians 1.4 says, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, in John 2, verses 23 through 25, we read, When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because... He knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Hmm. And Psalms 103 verses 12 through 14 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So, in spite of my wretchedness, he loves me. How awesome is that? And he has already canceled all my sins, past, present, and future, because I placed my heart in his, and I opened it to faith in Jesus Christ. This blew me away again this morning and lifted me up out of the stink of my own self. And I recalled that it was this message that Darlene and I shared with, well, let me tell you the story. We were living in Athens. We never had much money. The translating gig I had paid very little. So I made ends meet by taking my old guitar out in the evenings and playing songs like a wandering minstrel in the streets. In Athens, you see, everyone loves to spend their evenings dining or just talking at outdoor cafes. So typically, I'd sing a song or two and then take a collection. Then I got smart and had my little girl, who was about three, do the collecting with her hat. Oh, she was irresistible. One evening, as we were headed home, we passed by a long table with some ten or so large black men, and at the end was an elderly black gentleman. He saw us 
And when he did, he waved energetically for us to approach. When we neared, he said in English, Come, play us a song, something with joy. Well, at that, his companions, who resembled in size the front line of the Chicago Bears, also chimed in, Yeah, play us a song! Well, not one to take on unnecessary risk, I began to strum and sang a song about coming to Jesus innocently and receiving his joy. A bit to my surprise, they loved it. And the older man at the end said, sit, sit. He took my little girl on his lap and she giggled. Where are you from? He continued. Shortly, we were engaged in a lively conversation about my song, living in Athens, and probably ten other topics. There seemed to be an instant click between us and he was enchanted with my little girl. After half an hour or so, we excused ourselves and he insisted that we come visit him in his hotel. Well, not wanting to get on the bad side of the uh, Chicago Bears at the table, we agreed. And wonderfully, this began a long and delightful friendship with Abdul. That's what he called himself. We visited with him probably twice or three times a week for six months or so, and each time listened and then discussed both Islam and Christianity. We emphasized how gracious God is and that because of Christ, we enjoy the freedom of truly forgiven sins. He told us that he was a lawyer and an author well-known in the Muslim world, and each time we met, we grew closer to each other. And my little girl would run to him and jump onto his lap. Then she would stick out her hand, into which Abdul placed a piece of candy. She loved this as much as he did. One day, after several months, we went to his hotel, and though his friends were there, he was gone. We asked them where he was, and one of them let slip, oh, he's in Tripoli. Tripoli, I asked. He didn't say anything about that. When will he be back? Oh, in a few days, it's another Arab summit, he replied, and then acted like he'd really blown it. I shouldn't have said anything. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. You know where his friends. Why is he at the Arab summit? Well, he paused. Abdu is the prime minister in exile of the Sudan. He is still considered the legitimate leader of our country by other Arab states. So he attends for us. Well, this last part, he said, was with obvious pride. Darlene and I were dumbfounded. When Abdul returned, we met him, and he shyly confessed that it was true. He told us that he had spent seven years in and out of jail in Khartoum because the Egyptians had taken over and put all his government in prison. Then the military leaders that had overthrown his government were themselves overthrown, but the new leaders didn't know who to trust. At one point, Abdul, convinced that he was about to be executed, wrote his will with chalk on the wall of his cell. The next morning, the ones who were going to execute him were themselves executed in the cell next to him. Well, upon his release, he fled the country with many people who were loyal to him, and he was supported by other Arab heads of state because he was so highly respected. You see, he had been the first Sudanese leader invited to the White House and to speak to the UN. In addition, he had hosted several Arab summits himself. 
Do you know what I did in Tripoli? He smiled broadly, almost like a child. No, Abdul, what did you do? We anticipated something unusual just by his body language. Well, there was this man, he said, named Gaddafi, who is the leader of Libya. Well, yes, we inserted, we know who he is. Okay, well, he was going on and on, loudly asserting that we all had to reject the West, and especially Christians, because they are all infidels and unworthy of our friendship. So I stood up, he said, and rebuked him and said he was mistaken. I said, in fact, that I had met some wonderful people from the U.S. who were Christians, and if there are more people like them, we should welcome their friendship. You said that, Abdul? You said that at the Arab summit? Will that get you in trouble? Oh, no, it's the truth. And I know many of them heard my conviction. Well, we were flabbergasted at his boldness and prayed for God to protect him. Anyway, it wasn't too long after that that the Lord led us to move from Greece to Italy. Of course, our goodbyes with Abdul were tender and loving. He wrote to us many times, explaining that he experienced vivid dreams about us and about Jesus. In one letter, he joyously wrote that he had asked Christ to come into his heart and forgive his sins. He was so happy that he knew he was saved and would see us in heaven. A few months later, he returned to Sudan under the government's blanket pardon. And we did not hear from him again. Much later, though, we found out that he died about a year after returning. But we don't know the circumstances. And so it is the exciting, wonderful truth of this grace, the freedom from the ugly stench of sin that appeals to all people who will truly hear it. Just like me and just like Abdul, God knows all his children and loves us so dearly. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. Look for our next podcast and may you realize more of his grace today.